Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And here we are on the podcast, Jay Madison's Rural America, sitting across from me, the one, the only, Mr. Ron Robbins. How you doing today, hey, Ron? I'm doing great. We got a beautiful day here in the North Country. Today. Yeah, we'll take it. We got a little rain. How, how'd, that, rain. how'd that work out for you? It's been awesome. We've really seen crops make a turnaround here in the area. Um of course, everybody's kind of preparing here to chop, start chopping corn. So corn harvest is going to start probably as early as next week for a lot of farms. And, nice, um, nice. So lots of activity, you know, in preparation for a real busy time. But yeah. but rain really has kind of greened things up, and uh, you probably had to mow your lawn, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Twice in the past week. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's like that rain. It's really taken off. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at the lawn mowing stage. But, hey, just uh, want to remind our listeners out there. So, uh, you know, if you're out and about on the rural roads, make sure that you're being careful because there w- you will see to st- uh, start to see more farm equipment on the roads. They have a right to be there. They're not going to pull off to the side of the road for you. They are going to stay on the road to travel to their destination. They will be going a lot slower than your vehicle. So the minute you see them start to slow down, Wait until you get to a legal passing zone to pass safely that piece of farm equipment. Please be patient. Take your time. It's not worth all of the trouble to get mad and fly around them and get yourself in trouble or get in an accident even worse. So just you know, keep an eye out for that farm equipment. And speaking of uh, farm equipment, We've got two gentlemen on the phone with us, Ron, that you're yes, good friends do. with. Yeah. And uh, they happen to know a little bit about farming from what you've told me. Absolutely. We've got a, a couple of guests today from the heartland of the of the U.S. here. Uh, yeah, Gary, Gary. And I should have checked, so forgive me if I say these wrong. I usually check beforehand. Gary Niemeyer, did I say that right? right? All right. Perfect. And uh, Gary is from Springfield, Illinois. Uh, he is a, uh, he's done a lot of things, Ron. He's probably done more than you. Yeah, well, we, you know, and we pick on Gary because that, that Springfield, Illinois area, I don't know if you ever had a bad crop there, Gary, in your lifetime, because I mean, it's, we, I think they could drive down the road and throw seeds out the window of their pickup truck and still get record yields. Well, let me think back, but I doubt it. <laughs> So I should mention that Gary, uh, he's the director, a director on the Rural Electric Cooperative, director of the past director of Waterways Council. Uh, He's been a director and president of National Corn Growers Association, past president of Illinois Corn Growers Association, and past president of the Sagamon County Farm Bureau. So that's a pretty good record, Gary. Been quite busy, involved in agriculture from the grassroots on up. Well, that's that's the, what we like to hear, and we appreciate all that service. We also should introduce uh, Glenn Moeller. Did I say that right? That'll work. 
All right, all right, beautiful. <laughs> these uh, these Germans that settled in Iowa, uh, you never quite know how to pronounce their name, so whatever <laughs> whatever works, right, Glenn? <laughs> that I answer to a lot of names. <laughs> <laughs> now, Glenn, uh, Glenn is known as an Iowa farm boy. He's done a lot of different things as well, been a grain merchandiser for International Multi Foods, a member of the Corn Growers and president of Iowa Corn Growers Association, past committee chair for National Corn Growers. But what was really interesting as I was getting to talk to uh, Glenn folks is he and a few others started a company called Next Generation Agriculture Advocates. What's that all about? Well, that's a, a group of us that have uh, seen a, a real need in, in trying to place Young farmers, young people that are interested in getting into the farming uh, picture that don't have any other alternatives with uh, farmers who are retiring with no heirs. And it's, it's very beneficial for, for all of us. Uh, the retiring farmer gets to see his farm legacy continue with a young person. And the young person gets a little bit of a break along the way to be able to get his feet wet. Oh, that's that's a great organization to start. How long have you been doing that for, Glenn? Since uh, 2017. Uh, any track record you'd like to brag about? Well, all I can say is we are extremely busy. I bet. I bet. You know, that's a great idea to have an organization that can help uh, match up aspiring farmers uh, to farmers that are retiring and don't have anybody uh, to pass the farm off to. That's uh, such a need out there across New York State and the nation. Well, Jay, as, as uh, consolidation continues in our industry, we every day lose, lose talent uh, by, by turning these young people away. And, uh, you know, certainly we can't accommodate everybody, but um, uh, we try and do our best to keep that talent in the industry. No, that's fantastic and uh, a great idea. Um, good to see that out there. Now, the three of you uh, participate in what I've, when Ron's told me the stories about it, uh, an agricultural think tank, if you will. Do you have a name for this? Well, we've dubbed ourselves a couple different things. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. We, uh, we, hey, the, hey, the, hey, hey, Ron. Yeah. Why don't we call Today, let's call ourselves the Agrarian Economic Forum. There you go. Okay. There you go. I love it. <laughs> the Agrarian Economic I'm writing this down, yeah. guys. The Agrarian Economic for Forum. Now, do you meet in Davos, Switzerland, or whatever? Well, no. Well, the closest place to Davos, I think, is my house in Okeechobee, Florida, maybe. <laughs> uh, nobody flies in on a private jet. Um, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Aren't you guys for climate change fixing or whatever it is? Well, of you don't course fly we in your private yeah. jets oh, to do that. Oh, of course. But uh, yeah, for somewhere we've missed out on the private jet travel. So uh, I don't. I kind of look into Gary being, uh, you know, the, kind of the go-to guy there to figure that out. But uh, no, we've uh, we've been meeting now. We I think this this summer here uh, marked about ten years. Uh, don't you think, gentlemen? I believe you're right. Well, it, it'll be close, I'm sure. But we, uh, we've we met a couple times a year. Usually try to COVID kind of got us derailed a little bit, but we've meet, try to meet in 
someplace in the winter. Generally, it's been my house in Okeechobee, Florida, and then we've uh, we've kind of moved around a little bit in the summertime. Um, uh, try to stay out in the Midwest. It's a good time for everybody coming in to see uh, the crops. There, we're we're about twelve or fourteen strong. We kind of ebb and flow depending on schedules and that sort of thing. And and the group members are all uh, all heavily involved in agriculture. Um, very diverse group. Uh, we have a couple agricultural consultants. We have some retired uh, ag executives of big corporations. We have the current uh, uh, chairman of the board of CHS Cooperative based in Minneapolis. And uh, and then, uh, you know, we just got us, us three and some other farmers. Uh, Wally Hardy from North Dakota also owns a farm in Mozambique, Africa. Oh, wow. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, we, uh, we're kind of diverse. We're all kind of the same age. We're at the same point in our life. And our big, our big job is to go up to 50,000 foot and look at the industry and look out there five years, 10 years, and try to figure out how we position ourselves. And unfortunately, we've talked a lot about how we can help other farmers by uh, gain some knowledge by what we can figure out, but we have yet to find a forum. So maybe the podcast. Well, will be hey, the, here we go. Yeah, this will become the Agrarian Economic Forum voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gary, anything you want to add to that? No, I think you really covered it quite well. It's uh, the idea that everybody here has uh, a deep-seated interest in agriculture. You know, from the inheritance, I'm a third generation farmer, uh, though I'll let those other two guys say their uh, generation. But we want to just keep everything alive and growing like we have learned throughout history. And obviously, there's a lot of changes in the way social uh, uh, events operate these days. So we're trying to figure out how we can make this all work out together. So, well, we're. All of us, all of us have been uh, involved in the associations, and uh, uh, being involved, you get to see the uh, workings and, and the thinkings of the associations. And we found that most of the associations have to, by definition, deal with the uh, interests and the concerns uh, at hand. And so consequently, a lot of times the, the future uh, projections, the future thoughts, are, are kind of pushed by the wayside a little bit because of the demands of the nearby. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, what you're saying, because having been involved in those myself, you go to the association meetings, whatever the organization might be, and you have to deal with the politics of the day. You have to deal with the political correctness of the day. All of those things, and it doesn't, I've never seen one of these organizations yet that really take a look at the future the way you should in an unfettered manner. Um, so that is what you get to do then mm -hmm. at, at your agri agrarian economic forums? That's exactly <laughs> what we do. And, you know, it's uh, the knowledge base that exists within the group is almost it's almost scary, I guess, because, and some of the things that we began to talk about five years ago, and we began to draw kind of the future and paint a picture of what the future might look like for agriculture, those things are coming true. As we sit here today, things like 
geopolitical actions that are really wrecking havoc with agriculture around the world. The the whole climate change discussion, um, some of the economic issues that are impacting countries, you know, what their currencies are doing. We've gotten into all those things, and it's it's a little scary that a lot of these things that we talked about and we're kind of futuristic about ever are happening. And that's really what we spent a lot of time talking about this summer was now where do we go? Because we're we're funneling down to this point in time that we're kind of wondering, uh, you know, what the future, is there even going to be a future? Right. Well, so let's dive into that. The first question I would have for the three of you based on this summer's uh, meeting is what do you see happening here in the United States with crop production based on world events and national events, what do you see happening with crop production over the next three to five years? Gary, I'll jump on you? that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, take, I'll stick on that one. Um, you know, it's really interesting. When I was involved with corn growers on the board, back in 2005, we passed the renewable fuel standard, which increased the demand for corn by 5 uh, billion bushel so that we could... Uh, grow our ethanol industry and people didn't really realize what they'd gotten into now the prices are quite quite a bit higher than they were back then but now we're facing a lot of solar panels and in my specific area because like ron said it's pretty flat and black um, a lot of these solar panel people want to put solar panels on our farm ground the most prolific farm ground in the world you know, only 10% of the Earth's surface is uh, farmable, and the majority of it is right here in the Midwest. Our, our farmland, I think they just had a sale yesterday, 21,000 an acre. And to put solar panels up to take away the production of grain really gives me a little bit of a start. Now, you got to understand there's two sides of this. As a farmer, maybe a cash rinse, 300 350, maybe even 400 an acre, but the solar panels are 1200 to $1,500 an acre. So if you're a farmer that you're kind of squeezed a little bit, you kind of like to sell your ground or, or rent it out to these solar panel issues. But what are we doing in the meantime? Are we cutting off future food supplies? Really kind of bothers me. And I know Ron could talk about uh, fake meat and how it's affecting his industry. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess so. Yeah, and really, you know, we when you talk about this situation of basically a world food crisis, and we're seeing the energy situation, the green movement, what is what's happened in Europe uh, over there? They have a massive drought this summer. They uh, they they really moved towards green policies about five years ago. Began in two thousand sixteen. And uh, a lot of this really began after the Paris Climate Summit back in 2015 when John Kerry, you know, signed that Paris Climate Accord. And, you know, a lot of this started heading down this path. And we began to see some of this happening. And, uh, and as we met and talked about it, realized, boy, you know, we, we might be headed towards a time where there's not enough food. Well, guess what? We're, now we're here. We're here, and it's it's going to get. So what? So well, go ahead. Go ahead. Jay, yep. 
to add to that just a little bit, I had a conversation with a Canadian farmer friend of mine just yesterday, and they are now facing the same kind of uh, restrictions on nitrogen use in Canada for this coming year as what the Europeans have experienced this past year. And when you start putting all of this together and you uh, eliminate the nitrogen fertilizer for our crops, I don't care what you grow, we're going to have a dramatic downturn in production. And the sad part about all of this is we are in this world right now uh, at a point where, where we can consume almost everything that we grow in a good year. And so we, we have a real crisis ahead of us. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that either don't know or are blindly working against us. So what for the listeners that may not have any idea what we're talking about when it comes to agriculture, when you say uh, European nitrogen restrictions, just in a very layman's term, what what are you referring to with that? Well, the uh, I just wanted to hop in and tell you what's happened this week, and I'll let Glenn finish up. Okay, just this week alone. Anhydrous prices have moved up $200 a ton. Now, just to put that into perspective, uh, when I quit farming two years ago, I was paying $400 a ton for anhydrous ammonia. Currently, it's $1,485 a ton. And the Europeans are kind of shutting down uh, making anhydrous ammonia because their natural gas costs them $70, where ours is about 9 Wow. Well, Gary... Gary in addition to that, a lot of uh, people in this country don't understand that we import a very large percentage of the anhydrous ammonia or nitrogen fertilizer that we use. And so consequently, everything that happens in Europe right now has a direct effect on the supplies that we're going to have this year, this coming year. You know, I never I never thought about that, guys. Um, you know, we Ron and I talked about when... Russia and Ukraine, when the war first started, the loss of the nitrogen fertilizer supply, and I think it's 80%, if I remember correctly, uh, of the nitrogen fertilizer that's used in the U.S., 80% of that comes from that region of the world, the European-slash-Asian continents. That's Uh, correct. So now... Uh, so let me let me just make sure I'm capturing this. So in addition to the issue uh, with Russia and Ukraine and the shutdown of uh, nitrogen fertilizer coming from there, some of the fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer, was also being produced in Europe. And because of the Ukrainian war, uh, they're having to shut down their nitrogen fertilizer production so that they can turn that into fuel to heat people's homes this winter in Europe. Did I say that correctly? Jay, you got that perfectly, but you got to add another thing. Uh There's a a lot of transportation issues. The rates for transportation are up, fuel costs are up, and try to find labor to ship the the product from overseas to here. So you got a, a few more additions to that. Uh, Yeah, well, we're running into that. I don't know if Ron has shared with you the grant program that we rolled out to farms this year to grow our local food supply in anticipation of the coming problems with the food crisis. 
And one of the things I'm running into is all of the farms I'm working with, and a lot of these are small farms producing different vegetables and fruits and so on. Anyways, uh, one of the problems we're running into is the equipment that they they want to buy through this grant, a lot of it's on back order because you just can't get it, either because of manufacturing slowdowns or supply chain slowdowns or both. Um, and it's, it's just I was talking to our board of directors this morning, uh, and I told them, I said, here's the issue that these farms are running into. They can't get the equipment to expand their food production because it's not available or it's going to be six months, nine months, 12 months out before they can get it. And people don't realize the ripple effect that is occurring through our world economy because of the things happening here in the United States and the things happening with uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia, which is rippling through Europe and the problems with China that we haven't talked about yet that is also having an impact on everything. It's just crazy. Just crazy. So, Jay, go ahead. Jay, I could add to that just a little bit. I heard a story a couple of days ago. I have no way of knowing for sure how creditable it is. But uh, as you know, the Farm Progress Show here in the Midwest is going on here in Iowa. And it's it's a big, uh, it's a big machinery and, and commercial exhibit uh, uh, for the farmers. It usually goes on for about three days. And the story that I heard a couple days ago was that some of the manufacturers that were going to have exhibits at the Farm Progress Show couldn't even break loose enough of their own equipment to get to the Farm Progress Show. Wow. Yeah, and to be honest with you, that's not a surprise because yeah. of dealing with the, the equipment uh, dealerships mm -hmm. here in, in our area. They're uh, I always try to get them to do the uh, dairy parade with all of their equipment. Well, they don't have any equipment to put in it. Yeah. So they had to bring it in from across New York State, which was really nice of them. But, man, they had to bring in equipment from across New York State just so we could have our dairy parade. And I, so I think, you know, to, to kind, of, uh, kind of wrap our arms around this whole situation here, you know, we think – We've experienced supply chain issues and, and, and inflationary cost of inputs at all levels. Um, I think the worst is yet to come. And as we get into 2023, 2024 is, you know, I'm really worried uh, about this coming year. I mean, my, my fuel supplier told me the other day that uh, – our kerosene supplies in the Northeast are 50% of average right now. Wow. And for blended diesel, cold, cold weather diesel this winter, which is 50-50 blend here in our area. Some places it's 30-70, but, you know, 30 kerosene, 70 diesel. But for here, with the, with the cold temperatures that we can get, it's 50-50. He doesn't think there's going to be the kerosene available to do those winter blends. Now think about the trucks that will be sitting beside the interstate gelled up with frozen diesel fuel this winter if we happen to get a cold snap of uh, 10 below zero or whatever, which is pretty common for our area, to think nothing about the heating oil. Right. A lot of places heat with kerosene. Um, it's just not there. And we talked about, you know, let's fill our tanks in November. Let's get, we've got, you know, significant storage 
And I told him, I said, just plan on the minute you guys start blending 50-50 diesel, I want a, I want a tractor-trailer load. A tractor-trailer load? Yeah. That's what, 8,000 gallons. 8,000 gallons. Yeah. For the winter. Yeah, and that won't get me through the winter, but I, you know, I said, I want to fill everything we can fill so that, you know, because we, and think about it on the farm, we have to, our equipment has to run four o'clock in the morning, you know, farms are starting to feed cows. You got payloaders running, tractors running, skid steers running, and if it's 10 below zero in the morning and your fuel gels up, you got a big mess on your hands. So I, I, I want to back up and see if, if Glenn and Gary, not to, to pit you guys against each other at all, I apologize for doing that, but do you agree with that, with what Ron just said uh, on the supply of kerosene? Have you heard the same thing? I'll go first here real quickly. I talked to our local FS guy, and I think he said that there was a refinery fire last night in Indiana, and a lot of it is aviation fuel, which goes to is consistent with what Ron just said. Yeah. And that, that was what my supplier told me not to jump in here quick, but, uh, jet fuel, they use a lot of kerosene and jet fuel. And, uh, we've actually sent a lot of our kerosene supplies over to the war in Ukraine. Oh, great. And, uh, that's where a lot of the Northeast supplies are. It's been diverted. So it hasn't ended up here the way it should. And then, refinery issues is the other thing and of course there's a lot of hoarding going on with the with the airlines and some of these jet fuel companies so uh uh yeah so that fits with what gary's saying as well How but, are you yeah and i i haven't i haven't heard anything in my area specifically on supply of fuel um everything seems to be flowing fairly good right now but uh getting getting to the fuel here a little bit we're talking about a, a, a shortage and, and some supply problems along the way. I, I think maybe what we could segue, and not to take the program away from you, Jay, at all, but oh, I think no, we, should seg- we should segue over a little bit to uh, uh, price-supply-demand uh, relationship right now. As we speak, as we speak uh, uh, oil on the Chicago Board of Trade is down almost $3 a barrel. It's down to, in the October futures, it's down to $86.76 a barrel. And what I, I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is simply because we, we have a complete disconnect between the actual fundamental supply and demand picture that we have in front of us and what the marketplace is doing right now. And I think that uh, that deserves a little bit of a discussion. What well, su- supposedly the demand for fuel is down six percent so far. This is gasoline usage, six percent so far this year. It's so interesting that the demand's down six percent, yet we're selling off our strategic reserve to keep the price down so that we don't have inflationary fears. Am I missing something there? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's let's move away from what we've been talking about. What else at your forum think tank this summer uh, stood out to you uh, that our listeners should hear about? Well, uh, Jay, I can mention one thing. Um, 
the uh, uh, atrazine recertification process is in 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 gear right now with the uh, with the uh, FIFRA people in uh, in uh, DC, and we talked about that a little bit. Uh, atrazine's been around since 1958, and it's still used on millions and millions of farms in the United States. And what they've done is uh, uh, changed the parameters for approval on the recertification of atrazine uh, to the point where it's going to be very, very uh, difficult for them to approve it this time around. And uh, we were we discussed that at our meeting a little bit with the concern that uh, quite possibly uh, we're going to end up also with a, a possible shortage of herbicides simply because uh, one of them is going to get eliminated. So what does that mean to the public? Well, well, yeah, it means less less yield, right? So if you don't control weeds, and <laughs> and and ultimately don't have products available to control weeds, reduces yield, which ultimately uh, raises prices and just exacerbates the situation we're in. So all these things, it's it's kind of the key point here to make is, you know, we have all these things happening and. It's it's almost like it's a it's a coordinated um, uh, destruction of of our food supply. It, it it's almost uncanny to think that all these things could be happening without somebody figuring out that you know if we do all these things, it's going to be really bad for people. And of course, when people are hungry and cold. They uh, they're pretty easily controlled, I guess. I mean, I'll uh, I'll throw that out there, and uh, I know I you know I don't want to be labeled a conspiracy theorist, but uh, <laughs> but I'm right. a conspiracy theorist. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had a cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's you know the way things are, and you know. Uh, I won't go too far that way, yeah. but the way things are happening, and I don't know that people really believe it when you and I talk about these yeah. things, right? <laughs> I know. It's, it's interesting <laughs> to watch their reactions, but I am very concerned about 2023, 2024, the potential for food shortages and what we're, what we're expecting to happen. Jay, if I might hop in here, let me sure, follow sure, up sure. on what you're saying. Okay. Okay. If you are a person who wants an outcome-based result, how do you go about doing that? Do you shut down the pipelines? Do you create shortages of uh, trucking and, and uh, just-in-time delivery supply changes? If you want to change from um, a carbon culture uh, of uh, gasoline, um uh, oil products and everything you shut down an industry that has the largest supply in the world and then you run the price of that up so that you can replace it with uh, renewable energy such as windmills and solar panels would produce and at, at the same time i happen to be on a rural electric board and we hear about this uh, our governor in the state of illinois has shut off coal production period in eight years. That means that we have to come up with somewhere around 10 to 12 million acres of ground that's going to be either under solar panels and or windmills in eight years. I don't think it's possible. 
Well, we're running into that here in mm -hmm. New York. It's it's this push to uh, eliminate the use of fossil fuels completely is is driving the change of land use from farming slash residential slash slash open space to renewable energy production, and it's only just beginning to meet the demands that well to meet the not demand to meet the requirements of the government. Uh, we're we're faced with that, and you know I just saw decommissioning. I didn't see the plan, but I saw the uh, responses to concerns from a uh, solar project where the you know there were concerns brought up about the decommissioning plan, and they just dismissed them. They they basically dismissed them. And, and Jay, can I jump in here yep, for a yep, second? Absolutely. Um, uh, this, this is, of course, is uh, extremely controversial. But I'm going to I'm going to throw out to you that the green plan is uh, is completely unnecessary. Um, there's there's plenty of science that uh, counters it. It just seems to be the popular uh, agenda to uh, go forward with the, the politics, and it's really a sad situation. Well, it's an un. The whether you, and I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but whether you believe that we need to um, increase the use of renewable energy or not, um, it's, it's, the, it's the planning, it's the thinking long range that's not being done that's the concern. Um, you know, if, the, the, the ripple effect. Right, right. It, it's instead of instead of gradually easing the nation into things and thinking out the ramifications. Okay, if you if you're gonna shut down the use of fossil fuels in any new building within a, a, a very short number of years, and I forget what it is here in New York. Um, you know, how do you? How do you convert your dairy processing plants over to all electric generated by solar projects within a short amount of time? Do it so they can afford to do it to meet these these green requirements. Those answers have not been thought out or put in place. And and you're exactly right. Here we have what's called MISO. That's a bunch of electrical engineers that say this plan is a total joke. Will not ever get off the ground. And I am I am particularly for new technology, especially electricity. I really am. But let's do it organically. Let's grow it as it goes. Right, right. And, and we we're not doing that. We're forcing things to happen. And by by doing that, we're not looking at the long range issues, the ripple effects and, you know, of great concern is what does that do to our economy and our food supply uh, in the short term, especially, and then out that 10 years, 15 years, what are we doing? And that, that's a good question. And, and it's one that people should be talking about. And I'm glad to hear that you guys uh, in your forum are, are talking about those issues. But like you said, how do you get that out from your group? to yeah. a broader audience. And and really what what's happening here which kind of, you know, Glenn talked a little bit about, 
you know, consolidation early on when he was talking about his company. But what's happening here now is that we are driving massive consolidation in the ag sector uh, that's that's unprecedented. And in fact, I really worry about a place like New York and what our agricultural industry will look like in 10 years because of this kind of consolidation and the rapid rise in input costs for things like machinery and crop inputs and the lack of availability of, of land, uh, the lack of availability of, of critical resources like fuel, um, you know, we're seeing equipment costs just go through the roof, for instance. And, uh, you know, that's really going to change the landscape in agriculture here, you know, much like it's already happening in Europe. And, you know, what's if we could only just stop for a minute and just look at what's happened in Europe in such a short period of time. It's the most scariest thing that that you could ever imagine. Share with our listeners what that is. You're referencing Europe. They may not be aware of what has happened. So basically in Europe, what really transpired was, in two, as I mentioned earlier, in 2016, coming out of that Paris Climate Accord in 2015, they began implementing green policies there, which really began to ratchet down the ability to farm. Things like limiting the amount of fertilizer they could use, uh, limited land use uh, opportunities, uh, moving towards green energy, making fuel so expensive, uh, you know, having crop inputs not be available or readily available, but really ratcheting down the ability for those European farmers to do what they've done for centuries and been the, you know, really kind of the, they've kind of been the backbone of our food supply in the world, you know, going back to the Middle Ages, really. So, you know, that began to happen and it, it just, and here we are in 2022. And I mean, Europe is a mess. I mean, you got Germans cutting, trying to cut wood because they know they're going to need fuel for the winter. They don't have enough food. Um, you know, I read a couple articles this morning where European dairy production has just plummeted. And, uh, and I mean, they used to kind of be our nemesis when it comes to things like cheese and butter production. Right, right. They'd wreak havoc with our prices. With our prices. And, and they got nothing. So that's that's my two cents. Gary, Glenn, what do you think? Well, um, go ahead, Glenn. You first. Well, I, I was going to move the subject around a little bit. Uh, Gary, if you've got any comments on that, go ahead. Well, real quick, to follow up what Ron says, they shut all of their coal industry, their nuclear power off, and now they're trying to start it back up, and the price of coal is dramatically increased. And uh, then they're going to cut down trees, which is not really what I would call <laughs> no, environmentally friendly. That's completely that make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Okay, Glenn. <laughs> well, I, I think there's one aspect of all of this that we're, we're not mentioning or we're not talking about right now, and that's the, um, the, the young people. Um, Imagine coming off of a farm and, and being raised in the farm environment and learning learning the processes and everything as a young person and having the desire to go back to the farm and seeing today what kind of attitude and what kind of actions are being taken against farmers, uh, not only now but into the future. All of a sudden, that ambition, all of that talent and everything kind of folds up and goes in another direction. 
And I think if there's any one really serious uh, issue that's not being talked about at all is that fact that the talent that we have in our young people is being uh, turned away and uh, discouraged. So one of the one of the ways to to fix that is through things like the next generation agriculture advocates. Uh, that's a way to match young people up that are interested in farming, but they don't have their own farm to buy into to match them up with those farmers that have a farm. Uh, they want right. to retire, get out of it, but, but they don't. But have- even beyond, even beyond that, Jay, okay. it's, it's the damage. It's the damage that we're doing to the attitudes. Okay. Explain. Um, these, these young people with the ambition and the desire to go into the farming picture, um, they're, they're not dummies. Uh, they, they see what's uh, t- taking place and they see what kind of future they have in front of them. And it's nothing but, but hardship and, and uh, uh, questions as to whether things that they've, been learned, that they've learned to uh, deal with on, on a year-to-year basis as a, as a given now all of a sudden becomes a question mark. Mm, Yeah, I see what you're saying. To follow up on what Glenn just said, everything that we've been fed is almost a lie. Transitory inflation. Oh, the recession. We're going to redefine that. Recession is when you have two quarters of back-to-back GDPs that are negative. We've had that. That's what we're in. But that's not what is being told. Um, all of a sudden we're getting into all kinds of transgenderism, all kinds of crazy stuff we've never, ever heard of before. So this is a concern. These young people don't know what to think. And the other side of it is common sense has kind of left the country. It seems to me like. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you on that. The common sense. I don't know where it went, but it's not common anymore. (laughs) Jay, Jay, maybe up there in New York, you can start a new university, the University of Common Sense. Uh, that would be that would it would be worth its weight in gold and then some. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. And, you know, Jay, to kind of move towards wrapping up here, yeah, but yeah. I but I think you know, with all this, we always like to finish on a positive note. And the all I can say is, you know what. The real benefit of our group has really been to identify some of these issues, to recognize that they're real, to recognize that we got to move our industry forward. We got to, rec- you know, we got to be aware of what's in front of us here. And we got to start taking some steps and getting the word out to people to make them not just, you know, fellow farmers, but the general public as to what's what's really ahead of us here and what's really happening, you know, to a society that's, you know, been really pretty darn successful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking just, you know, I think about the technology that we've been made available to us in all aspects of our lives. But, you know, when you think about the farm, you know, as early as 1970 and what our tractors looked like and, and, you know, what they look like today and what our combines looked like then compared to, I mean, it's just amazing the productivity. I mean, I'm just amazed when I travel across the Midwest. I mean, yes, we farm here in New York state and you go out there and, you know, the, the landscape is so beautiful. The farmsteads are so well kept. There's a lot of pride that exists in the countryside 
all across this nation. And, you know, that's what worries me. And I think that's a little bit of what, what Glenn's getting to is when you start to, you know, shatter some of that pride and, and uh, make that much more difficult, what, what really happens. Uh, it, it, is, it is important to, to look at the positives. And I, I was going to ask that to wrap up is, you know, the positives that you see out there. And the use of technology, the, the innovations in agriculture, um, definitely a positive. Um, you know, I think if there's any industry that can deal with some of the challenges we're faced with here uh, over this past year and, and looking like 2023, agriculture is the one that can work its way through this somehow, some way. Uh, Glenn or Gary, what are your uh, final thoughts, if you will? Well, uh, I think Ron uh, hit the nail on the head. The technology has been really amazing. However, in, in light of what we've got going ahead with us now, uh, that technology is probably going to slow down a little bit, too. But nonetheless, uh, you know, we've been told in our entire productive lives that we feed the world. And we need to keep that in focus. We need to understand that uh, what we do has a tremendous impact in the, in the whole world ahead. And we have to maintain a, a straight and narrow uh, roadway ahead to be able to do that. And uh, I think that's, that's one positive thing that we have is our attitude. I agree with Glenn wholeheartedly. And, and Glenn and Ron did a very good job of summing up things. In agriculture, we really... Uh, substituted capital for labor. There's a lot less people doing a lot more work with technology that has come down throughout the ages, but yet we still have a society that thinks that their food comes out of McDonald's and they don't grasp hold of the reality of how and how difficult it is to produce food, the uh, responsibility. And now we're also facing one thing we didn't talk about is higher interest rates are our uh, operating machinery interest rates have probably jumped up almost 2% or more just in the last maybe six months. Mm, which does not help anything at all. No. Right. Well, right. Gent gentlemen, I think it's time for us to wrap up. Uh, we've run a little bit longer than we normally do, but the conversation's been fantastic. Uh, Gary Niemeyer, I uh, want to send thanks to you uh, from out there in Springfield, Illinois, for uh, joining us uh, this morning. And Glenn Moeller, I, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, from, let's see, Long Grove, Iowa. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my one of my favorite characters was from Iowa on the show MASH, Radar O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're... We're, Jay, we're all characters here. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, just just real quickly, Glenn, you got you got a bank there at the Four Corners in town that uh, was robbed by who now? Uh, I I believe uh, Dillinger, huh? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Coming John out Dillinger. of Chicago, ro robbing banks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. He, he hit Long Grove, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't want Ron, Ron and Lynn to talk about their favorite guys because uh, I think four of the last five governors from the state of Illinois have been in jail, so we know how to get black this place. <laughs> <laughs> 
hey, you know, here in New York, uh, we've got our record to deal with, too. Yeah. So we can't yeah. say too much. But yeah. uh, that's, the part where I, that's the part where I have to tread lightly. Yeah. I can yeah. get in trouble. But, hey, uh, Gary and Glenn, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And, Ron, as always, thank you. You're welcome, uh, Jake. Especially for bringing these guests in. Uh, it has been a real treat to have the Agrarian Economic Forum members. There you go. You know, wow. The secret society of <laughs> yeah. agriculture. The deep state. The deep state of agriculture. <laughs> Ooh, wow, you're going off the deep end. <laughs> it's been great to have you guys joining us today. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. All right. So that's a wrap, folks. Thanks a lot for uh, joining Ron and I. And uh, we'll look forward to you joining us for the next Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Be sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.